It's episode number 424 of the show, and John, he really is a funny guy. Acuff is back. Serving up the strategies you need to build, market, and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your expertise. This is the Youpreneur Podcast, and here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Yes, hello there and welcome back to Upana FM. I hope you're doing very, very well indeed, no matter where you're tuning in from. Appreciate you spending some time with me today. Great show lined up today. The fantastic, the funny, the smart, and the incredibly experienced John Acuff is back on the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. This was one of those shows where we kind of started out in one direction, went down a couple of different rabbit holes, okay, as as one does, um, and then kind of looped back very perfectly here as we wrapped up. Before we get going, though, let me ask you a question and be honest with yourself and with me when you answer it. Have you ever sort of got to the point where you're just about to do something and for whatever reason, you start overthinking the action that you're about to take. Like maybe you're about to hit that publish button or the record button, or maybe it's the go live button. You're about to do a live stream or whatever it is. Whatever it might be, we as humans, we do tend to get inside our own heads quite regularly. Um, and I think also from an entrepreneurial perspective, particularly in today's world where the social side of doing business. When I say social, I don't mean socially kind of like getting together. Uh, what I mean is social media, obviously, like everything seems so bloody perfect on social media, right? Um, and we start overthinking things. We start almost second guessing the decision that we've already made and we're about to take action on. And now for whatever reason, we're kind of stuttering, right? Or we're kind of, we're, we're pausing just before we take that action. Well, that right there is a major problem for most entrepreneurs. And John and I go into this quite substantially. He's actually got a new book that's come out recently called Soundtracks. And it goes into the issues that we have, not just entrepreneurs, but just humans in general of overthinking everything from, you know, making those big business moves to just very small decisions. Um, we also talk quite a lot, actually, at least at the beginning, uh, about his stand-up career and what that has done for him as a keynote speaker and a New York Times bestselling author, amongst other things. But what John does above and beyond everything else is he is his brand. I mean, that's what this show is all about. It's about building a business based around your personality, right? And the people that you want to serve and call customers. And John has been very, very successful in doing that for a long, long time. So I hope you enjoy the conversation between myself and John. It's a great one, genuinely. And we really, really have a good time on this one. So here we go. Youpreneur FM, helping you build the business of you. So, John, welcome back to Youpreneur FM. It's been a minute, my friend. It has. It's been a, it feels like, well, and with the pandemic, time is different. So it's been 19 years since I talked to you. Yeah. I thought you were just dodging my calls, but it was really the pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, that's what, it what it was. Well, I mean, you can blame anything you don't want to do on the pandemic. So you can be like, I'd love to do that. But with COVID, I can't do that. Re yes. Really? Those are related? <laughs> Everything's related. It works great. Um. You are always a joy 
to talk to. Um, number one, you're super smart. And we haven't actually had you on the show since episode 238. We're at 240, sorry, 424 now. Yeah, so it's been a couple of hundred episodes, episodes here. Um, but, but we've conversed a little bit online in the last sure. 19 years. Um, yeah. But what I love about you, and particularly whenever I see you on other shows or videos of you online, you know, when you're posting stuff, I stop genuinely and watch and listen. Two reasons. Number one, you are bloody smart, as we would say here in the UK, right? Oh, that, thanks. Right? Super smart. Um, know your job, plain and simple, right? The second thing is you're a funny dude. Like you crack me up. Your style of stand-up, and you've done stand-up, and I want to get into that actually a little bit, but your style of joke telling is right up my alley. Like I am all about the kind of dryness of it and the way that you follow up a punchline with another little punchline and another little, it's just, it's so good to watch you on stage, dude. Like if this whole author keynote speaker thing doesn't work out, please become a full-time stand-up comedian. Please. Yeah, I, I have such respect for people that do it full time. It's it's such a it's such an interesting art. And I did try it. Um, and the thing I you know, we talk about public speaking, you and I a lot. And it was so fascinating to experience the differences between public speaking and pure comedy, because there were there was a lot of similarities, but there are also some massive differences. So it was really fascinating. Can we break them down a little bit? I'm curious to know, um, because I'm a big stand up fan it's my favorite sure. type of comedy and i'd love to know if you tried to kind of like get into it a little bit more and what those differences were because i think from the speaker perspective it pays to to have some jokes you know what i mean like when you're doing a keynote you gotta have a few bits i know i've got to have bits. authentic humor i people yeah. always ask me like do i have to be funny because that's how i communicate and i always say be your version of funny where people go sideways is they read a book that says open with a joke and they memorize right. some joke that's not authentic to them. And then they do a hard left turn into their content. They're like, ah, ha, ha, funny, right? Yes. So yeah. let's talk about adjustable rate mortgages. And so I always say, <laughs> if you're dry at dinner, like be as funny as you are at a dinner party. If you're dry at the dinner party, be dry on stage. If you're slapstick at the dinner party, be slapstick on stage. Right. So for me, that, you know, that's kind of my approach to funny is like, I think it's a great amplifier of content. I believe what Chris Rock said, which is there's some things people won't listen to unless they're laughing at the same time. So I use humor to communicate difficult truths. I use humor to make things sticky. I feel like my whole job as a writer, speaker, um, communicator is to put handles on ideas. Like we have enough ideas in the world. We don't have handles on them to take them with us into Thursday or into I next love that. week or next month. And I use humor to put a handle on that. So I'll say, you know, like, okay, here's an example. I've, you know, I wrote this book soundtrack. So I've been talking about soundtracks a lot, these repetitive thoughts, these ideas that either push you forward or pull you back. So one of the soundtracks I've been telling people is why things are difficult right now is everything is a thing. Everything is a thing. And then the story I tell with the joke I relate to is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, somebody went to shake my hand and right before they shook my hand, I thought, should I give him an elbow bump? Should I give him a fist bump? Should I shake it? But then immediately dip my hand in a vat of hand sanitizer as if to say, I just want to wash off this deadly pandemic. You tried to murder me with real quick, sir. No problem. Should I refuse to shake his hand? And then I looked around the room or like, are other people shaking hands? Is this a political statement? What does this mean about how I voted? Like what's going on where two years ago, 
The only thing I thought when somebody wanted to shake my hand was nothing. I didn't think anything. (laughs) So now I can write about overthinking because everybody's overthinking and I can use that humor to illustrate the point that, oh, no wonder things feel stressful. Everything is a thing. Every little thing that used to not have a thousand thoughts now has a thousand thoughts. That's why we feel pressure as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as whatever. So that's kind of how I use humor. But you asked, the question you asked was, what are the differences? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you let, let's say, for example, you got a 45 minute keynote at a business conference, right? Sure. And then you've got maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes set at a comedy club, 15 minutes set at a five minute. I don't, I don't know, whatever you like, depends on how yeah. good you are. Right. But like, what's the differences in putting those two quote unquote talks together? Well, the, I mean, the difference in that is that the comedy has to be lean. Every word has to carry weight and there's, you have to be you have to put like a 10 minute set has to be on a diet. A 10 minute comic set has to be on a diet. I remember uh, Nate Bargatze, one of my favorite comedians, we got to go out to dinner with a bunch of comedians and he told a story at dinner that was hilarious about, he was changing clothes in a, a, a parking lot of a golf course. Like, and he had his shirt off and an old man behind him said, Lydia and thought it was his wife. And he said, I don't know who should be more insulted me that I have the body of an elderly woman or his <laughs> wife. Cause he thought she would be topless in a golf course <laughs> parking lot. And he told that story. And there's a lot of comedians that like are younger or maybe don't have the same experience would have told it in a thousand words. When I saw Nate do it in his special, he had it down to like 37 seconds. Wow. He had removed every little bit. So I think that's part of it. There's a leanness to a lot of comedy. Um, the other thing is like, I one of my big mistakes when I did my set was I didn't do crowd work. I needed to interact with the crowd where like my kind of communication style with public speaking, I don't come out and like, hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Like, well, what'd you, you know, like right. you guys married, you guys together. Like you don't do that at a corporate, like when I go speak at Microsoft, I don't work the crowd. Comedy has a different intimacy. And so I, I look back and go the very first joke I should have done. And I, I, I kind of did it in the middle, but like I should have walked out because I've got two sold out nights all my friends and family are there. People have flown in. Like, this is the first time I've ever done it. It's a big deal. Like it's called just John, just jokes. And I should have come out and said, what if, um, what if this sucks? Like, what if I'm not funny? Like, what if I'm like, if I don't, cause we are all feeling it. The tension was there. So I think like comedy, you engage with the audience in a different way. And then the other big difference was from the performer standpoint, comedy, like I tell people like if public speaking is, you know, gives you an adrenaline rush. Like if public speaking is like caffeine, like comedy is whatever killed Prince. Like the energy high is so different because with public speaking, there's dips and valleys. You're taking the audience on, you know, there's humor, there's rises and falls. Comedy is so much faster. Like the wavelength where you have to take them is so much higher that Mm -hmm. like I was spinning like a top after I did it for an hour. Like, I don't know. I don't know how comedians like are able to kind of regulate themselves adrenaline wise. But like, that was really fascinating. It's, it's always kind of, and obviously, I mean, you know, by the time you see a special like on Netflix or something like that, they've done this thing a whole bunch of times, right? So they know what works. They know what jokes to omit and get rid of. They know what, what, you know, stories to kind of lean into a little bit more and kind of maybe draw, you know, draw them out a little bit more. I think the, the one thing that always, um, impresses me with with comics that do it as their job particularly when you see their specials yeah and if you're lucky you know you get a a special every i don't know three years two years three years whatever it is is that 
they just come up with all this new material. And yeah. like, I'm always scared. Like I like any kind of comedy. Like I like Ricky Gervais. I like Joe Coy. My wife is from the Philippines. I saw Joe oh, yeah. in the Philippines. Right. And like we conversed and stuff like he was hilarious, but then you see him and we saw him on stage. And then like, you know, three weeks later, his Netflix special comes out and it's all completely different material. Jim Gaffigan, completely different material. And, and that little voice he does, really? Do you not want the extra donut, fat boy? You know, that kind of stuff, like yeah. all that sort of stuff. Like, how do they do this? How do they come up with all this content and make it so good to a point where they're getting paid millions of dollars for this special? Well, I think, I mean, Seinfeld in a, in a podcast interview said it's a game of tonnage. You have to create tons and tons of content. Yeah. Like great comedy is a game of tonnage. And I think it's the same with writing. Um, when I have a book come out, you're seeing the final product. The, the special is the final product. Um, and so like comedians like Gary Goldman will say, you don't have to write all day, but you have to write every day. Right. So I think great comedians will are dedicated to the craft and they don't wait for jokes to show up. They show up first and they work on the material. So like, the other day I said something, we were talking about jacuzzis or hot tubs, you know? And so I just said to a friend, hot tubs are weird. Cause like, if you do it with another couple, like if another couple came over to our house and we're like, you guys want to get in the hot tub? It's weird. Cause you'd never <laughs> say if somebody came over and they'd be like, you guys want to get in the bath? You guys want to take a bath? Like that's a weird thought. And so right. like I emailed myself that joke. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'll use it, but it's, I need, you know, like There's something I'm, there. It's something there. And so right. I think that for me, good writers, good public speakers, good comedians, good communicators. I think even good CEOs are idea collectors and they curate great ideas and they're kind of always touching them, always working on them, always updating them with new stories. So like when I have a speech and it talks about like one of the soundtrack questions I ask leaders is who are you doing this difficult job for? Who are you doing this difficult job for? Um, and I'll collect stories around that question. So when I remember, okay, I asked a group of hospital CEOs that probably a year ago and one raised their hand and she said, you know, I know who I'm doing this difficult job for. And then I'll layer the, another story on there and go, cause being a CEO of a hospital is difficult. Your reign, like for one, you don't get to say two things. Most people get to say, it's not life or death. It's not brain surgery. Mm -hmm. They don't get to say that. So now I've kind of like, I've added a joke and I go like, and their range of responsibilities goes from, saving someone's life to people are furious. It's Pepsi in the vending machine. Like that's a real thing that happens. They're like saving somebody's life to people gave you a bad review on Yelp next to where they review burritos. Like that's right. a world, like it's a weird world. And like, and then the story I'll tell is um, do all this humor setup. And then this lady, the CEO of a hospital said, I do my job for the donor walk. Whenever we have somebody who's donated an organ, the, the doctors, the nurses, the administrators line the hall and we clap for them as they're wheeled to surgery. So then I've got that emotional, like there's the highs of the joke, the, there's the realities of being a CEO is difficult no matter what kind of CEO you are, your yep. responsibilities are huge. And then there's the, the personal touch of I do it for the donor walk. And so like that's, but I'll collect that story as I go. It's like a snowball going down the hill. Every time I tell that story, I'm trying to go, what's an even better example or what's a more relatable example or how do I have a variety of examples so that it's not just one type of person that can connect with that content. Um, and it's paying attention, attention to life as you gain new ones. That's what I think great comedians, great communicators are good at. 
Yeah. Amen. I completely agree with you. So let's, let's talk about like what life has been. Obviously this book has just come out recently and we're going to, we're going to dive into it into a, in a second in terms of the, you know, the concept and the message of it and everything. But I'm curious to know just, you know, from a, I guess like a, like a time management slash boredom management, whatever you want to call it. Like what has the last year been like for you? Because you're out and about, you're speaking at events, you're, you're pressing palms, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you can't go nowhere. Like, did you, have you, what have you changed about the way that you are working with your clients now, if anything? Yeah. I mean, I changed everything. I was in March of last year, I was on pace to have the best year of public speaking I'd ever had in my life. Like the culmination of. Oh, it's brutal hearing years. you say that a dozen years coming together. And so then in March, everything got put on pause. Like it just, and it was one of those situations that there was no degree of hustle, positive thinking, whatever that could change that. I couldn't convince people like, don't worry about a global pandemic. Like you'll be fine. Like have the event. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I would say I spent probably eight weeks to 12 weeks, just like frustrated, stressed out, you know, use whatever word to mean stuck. Um, you know, and so like, and it, cause it was just hard. It was challenging. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen next. Like it was, it's not only is it the thing that like is my biggest source of income, it's my favorite thing. Yes. Like I, I found that magic spot where like the thing I enjoy doing the most makes me the most money. Like what? Like that feels like winning the lottery. And like, it's been, I'm 45. So it's been a long process. It's not that. And I'm so grateful I get to do it anytime. Um, mm. So that was the double thing was like, like no, you know, not only did it hurt my business, it just hurt my heart. Like I wasn't getting to do the thing that I'm my favorite thing. So I would say I spent like eight to 12 weeks, like in a funk. And then I can't kind of came to like, I'm writing this book and I'm working on this book about how we think um, and overthinking and soundtracks. And so I came up with a new soundtrack and that was, I can pine or I can plan. I can pine for the old way. I can be like, I can't believe this. I shouldn't have to do that. Ah, I can pine. Definitely. There's a, there's a chance that I can do that all day. Or I can actually plan and say, this is where I live now. What am I going to do about it? So I started like, I started asking myself soundtrack questions. Like one question that I give every leader is what would have made this season easier? What would have made it easier? And then go build that. So like, what would have like, okay, having a really smart work from home strategy would have made this season easier. Guess what? Build that. Me hmm. having a podcast would have made this season easier because then I could communicate with clients. I'd have another source of income. Well, I'm not going to regret that I don't have that already. I'm going to go build that. So I launched All It Takes is a Goal, a podcast where I talk about being a goal nerd and why I love goals. So I started to kind of really turn things around there, but and then invested in um, virtual events. I've done probably 40 virtual events and learned to, you know, really enjoy those. Um, I tried some online challenges. I launched a ton of new different things to go, okay, I can't wait for public speaking to return, which it will. Like people keep asking me, will public speaking return? And I keep saying, we're not going to stop doing what Socrates did. Like this is how we learned math in Greece. Like, of course, we're going to still have live events. We're built for live events. Yeah. There's things that live events accomplish that no virtual, despite the technology can. And virtual is amazing. It has a lot of benefits but a live event has a magic to it. That's just different. So Agreed. they're going to return, but I can't wait for them to return. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and try a bunch of things so that when they do return, I've built so many things that are even better. Like I'm really able to take advantage of them when they do return. You know, it's really interesting you saying all that. I, I, I 
don't do a lot of speaking. Um, when I do speak, I'm really picky with the invites that I accept. Uh, haven't always been like that. Like, a, you know, when you're kicking off your speaking career, so to speak, as I was 10, 11 years ago, I wasn't like, I'd say yes to anything if it had a half decent sized room, right? But over the last three, four years or so, I have become very picky and it's not even about money anymore. It's always been about who am I speaking for? Who Who's the event organizer first and foremost? Do I like them? If, if I don't necessarily like being around that person, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to support them at their event. That's for sure, right? I got better things to do. I got 400 employees. I got clients that pay me to coach them. Like, it's not like I need to do it, right? I got yeah. one to do it. The one thing that I struggled with last year, the one thing above and beyond everything else was putting on our own event. And we hold the Upreneur Summit every November at the Queen Elizabeth Center in London. It's like a dream come true, John. Oh yeah. Ever, ever since we did it, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm the master showman. You know what I mean? Like I get up on stage, I rock out on my union Jack, you know, waistcoat and bow tie. And I do that. We crush every year we sell out. And last year we knew we were going to have to make the call. And I waited and waited and waited to make the call. And eventually we postponed obviously. And we postponed this year as well, because yeah. it ain't going to happen. And I, I'm not going to do that kind of event in a room that can fit 400, which has always been filled with a hundred socially distanced yeah. and not be hugging up on people and high five well, like that, like, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, it'd be very So different. that was, that was kind of like my, my big thing last year was like, you know, we, we don't make a lot of money from the live event. It does fuel revenue in other sure. parts of our business, which we were able actually to not only replace, but actually build on, which was phenomenal in a virtual sense, but I miss not putting that event on last year. That oh, was the yeah, biggest yeah. struggle for me, man. Biggest struggle. Totally. totally. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's appropriate <sighs> to miss it. I think it's a good thing to process. And talking about overthinking, it cost me 20 grand large mm -hmm. to cancel it because I waited too long. I overthought the entire process. I should have called it like three months earlier than I did. And by then we lost deposits and all the rest of it. So this is the perfect segue into soundtracks. Um, and I think I loved, I, I, I've read start, I read finish, I read do over and I'm only halfway through this. And I kind of feel like it, might be the best one of the lot so far. And I'm not saying that because the others were bad, because they were great books, you're a great writer. But I feel like this is better timed for the entire world right now yeah, it's crazy. than, it's than crazy. any other book that you've ever written. Do you feel like that yourself when you look yeah, at it? Yeah, I feel it's been, it's been crazy. It really has. Um, I feel like this is one I'm going to sit on for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yep because the response and the stuff we're seeing people it's it's one of those books that um when you discover the idea of soundtracks you start to see individuals have them couples have them families have them companies have them mm -hmm. and then and it, then it kind of just opens up and so yeah i feel it's i feel really fortunate i get to be part of it um it's that kind of idea where that's I don't, cool I don't feel like I forced it. I feel like I got the benefit from it and now other people are getting to benefit from it. So I feel really fortunate. I love it. Okay. Turn over thinking from a super problem into a superpower. Break down 
soundtracks. Where did this come from and why, why do we need to read it? So it really, it, it came from my own experience in 2008. I was stuck in my career. Um, I had hit a ceiling, which was humbling in your early thirties. Like you expect, ah, maybe in my late forties, I'll hit a ceiling, but I had hit a career ceiling. I was a senior content designer and there was no super duper senior content designer position above me. Like I was financially stuck, career stuck. And so I started writing this blog and out of the blue, somebody emailed me and said, Hey, would you ever come speak at our event? And I'd never done that. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know you could get paid for that. It was 2008. And all I had was one tiny new thought of, I think I can do this. I, I think I can. And I started to really lean into that thought and support that thought with action and changing how I thought about my ability to do it changed everything over time. It moved me to Nashville. It helped me hit the New York times bestsellers list. And I kept going, okay, I'm going to install a new thought, which will lead to new actions, which will lead to new results. And so I benefited from it. And, and I'm an overthinker. And the problem with a lot of overthinking approaches is people go, stop it, stop it, stop it, like stop it. And like, stop think overthinking. And my opinion is why would I ever turn off this amazing machine? I'm really good at thinking. What if I just fed it with thoughts that helped me, not thoughts that hurt me, thoughts that pushed me forward, not thoughts that pulled me back. And so that's where I started to really get invested in it. And then when I look to write a book, I look for three things. This is kind of my Venn diagram of a new book, a new speech, a new product. Like if you're an entrepreneur, I think you need all these are the three things. This is the Venn diagram. One, do I have a personal connection? Am I personally connected to it? Um, Two, is there a need? Do I see people that actually need it? People in the marketplace. Three, is there a spot for me in the marketplace? So the personal connection, I've been working on it for years and years and years. The need that my researcher who I work with, Mike Peasley, who's this PhD that uh, is a professor, we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5% of people said yes. And it's one of those sneaky things that when you do it, you think you're the only one, but it turns out everybody does it. Mm. And so then in the marketplace, I saw that, okay, a lot of the books are against it, like stop it, where mine was like, what if we just could figure out how to tap into it? Because if overthinking, you know, like holds you back, I think it can propel you forward. And so kind of my simple way of saying that was like, if you can worry, you can wonder, if you can spin, you can soar, if you can doubt, you can dominate. So that's where I got really excited about the concept. And we kind of kicked off this research process. Um, and so from a, you know, the definition of overthinking, if somebody's curious is, it's when what you think gets in the way of what you want. It's when what you think gets in the way of what you want. And the difference between overthinking and being prepared, because there's a lot of listeners right now that are going, well, I'm just analytical. I'm, I'm prepared. Being prepared always leads to an action. Overthinking always leads to more overthinking. Mm -hmm. So if you said, I like to be prepared, I'd go, cool, show me what you did. And if you were like, well, we're still in the, I'd go, whoa. If you said, I want to write a book. I've been working on it for seven years. I'd go, books don't take seven years. Like, I think you might be overthinking. Right. <laughs> I want to start a business, but I, I want to get a perfect logo first. Nope. Like you've spent a year on Fiverr trying to get the perfect logo. Like nobody care. I didn't have a logo for the first seven years of my business. And finally somebody was like, dude, you need a logo. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. Let's get a logo. And we <laughs> yeah. got a logo, but like, so there's so many examples where overthinking is getting you stuck. And I think that when you figure out how to change it, it can really push you forward. There's a part, and this is where I'm at right now in the book. I've just pulled it out where I bookmarked it or dog-eared it. I'm a dog-ear kind of guy. Are you a dog-ear yeah, kind I'm of guy? I underline like crazy. Yeah. Okay. So page 119 is where I'm at. And I kind of read this. You've got a pull quote here. I, I read the page and then I went back to this pull quote and I thought, oh, I'm going to dive into that tomorrow when I speak with him. This is in the don't fight it, flip it. Yep. 
By the way, coolest chapters ever, by the way. You guys have got to check out some of these titles. Don't fight it. Flip it. And you write here, if you want to create a new soundtrack, pick a broken one that's loud and flip it upside down. Can you break that down for us a little? Totally. And he, I'll even give you a really specific way to find a loud one. So think about something you want to do. Write down something you want to do. I want to lose five pounds. I want to start a business. I want to have my own podcast. I want to ask somebody out. I want to ask for a raise, whatever. Write down a desire and then listen to the very first thing you think. Um, because every reaction is an education. So listen to that. If you hear, well, you're, you're not qualified to do that. People like you don't get to do like, that's probably a broken soundtrack. So you take a loud broken soundtrack and, and when I say flip it, I think sometimes people go, I have to go on this long vision quest to figure this thing out. And then it just leads to more overthinking more. Yeah. 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 I'd rather you go, what would be the opposite of that? So the example I give in the book is I realized one day I'm the worst boss. Like I am the absolute worst boss. Like, and it, it happened because I realized that like, I can be really focused and I'll set a timer for 90 minutes to work on a project. And then when I was going to the bathroom or getting a drink of water, I would pause the timer as if like I was stealing time from somebody. And I thought if I had a <laughs> boss that did that to me, I would hate that boss. If you had a boss that was like, are you going to the bathroom? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Those 90 seconds, you, you still owe, the, owe me those. Like that would be a terrible boss. So instead of going on this long, like, okay, why do I do that? I thought, what would the best boss do? Like, what would the best boss and I thought, well, I've had some good bosses. Like I have some examples I can actually pull from. It created this experience where I was able to quickly go, the best boss wouldn't do that. The best boss would give me time off. The best boss wouldn't only see the mistakes. They'd celebrate the victories too. The best boss wouldn't launch projects at Christmas because that sucks. Like, and I, I was doing all these things and I realized, okay, well, that's the kind of boss I want to be. So what if a soundtrack was, be the best boss. And then I figured out some actions that prove that, that show that, and would I get different results? And that's what, to me, flipping it is. Instead of doing this exhaustive process, you go, okay, I keep telling myself I can't write a book. What if I just took the opposite? I can write a book. I can, like, I have the ability. I'm going to go figure out how to do that. It's not, the goal of the book isn't to just give you new soundtracks. The goal is to give you new soundtracks that lead to new actions that lead to new results. Like that's, I'm, I'm a, I'm an action guy. I want, that's why people struggle with overthinking is they sometimes it's this fuzzy holistic topic that if, if you ask 90% of motivational content on the internet, what does that mean? It means nothing. Like you go, okay, Here's this thing, like the universe takes care of you. What does that mean? The universe doesn't care about me. The universe is busy being the universe and like getting ships stuck in the Suez Canal. Like the universe has very little like, okay, we arrange things for John Acuff. Like, no, like, what does that yeah. mean? And so that's where all my books, I try, to, I try to give you real actions you can do so that it's connected, like that it's a head book, but it's also a heart book and you actually get things you can do. So what is, what is the one thing, like if, if, you know, I'm always a big believer, and this is why I'm a big breed, a big reader. I'm almost a big, big breeder. I'm not a yeah, big breeder, although four children. Be. I know you do live in the country. <laughs> um, big reader. That was what I wanted to say. Um, you have four kids? Four children. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why I have no hair, John. Like behind, yeah, but I'm looking at you right now. People can't see the video. You have white carpet. I don't think anyone, I didn't this think anyone who owns white carpet has four kids. Like, it's like a scene out of Miami like Vice or something. 
you're like at the MoMA right now. Like, I don't see a single hair out of place. Like, where do you keep your kids in some other part of the house? They're in the basement. They're locked up in the basement. No, they're not really. This is gray. Number one, this is a gray carpet. It's not white. It just looks white, but it's a light gray carpet. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, they're good kids. You know, they're, they're, they, they, you know, they the cattle, the, pro the cattle prod works plain and simple. Um, if, the, if getting back to where I was big reader, I always say like, you know, people say, oh, you know, I haven't got time to read books. Well, okay. Well then listen to it. I haven't got time to do that. Then, you know, get the footnotes version or whatever it is. Here's my whole thing. Is it like the back of your book here is 26 99 hardcover edition. It's 26 bucks, 27 bucks. If I read that and get one really big thing out of this book that genuinely I put into action and it helps me make five, 5,000, 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million, whatever it is. I got it from a $27 book, John. Yeah. Like that's happened so many times to me. So many times it was just one thing in the book has just jumped out and said, you've got to do that now, Chris, get that into motion. And it's definitely made me money. From an entrepreneurial perspective, what one thing would you take out of this book and say, you absolutely must do this? Well, I mean, I, I'll give you, there's, there's actually two ways I'll, I'll answer that. One is the concept of retire your broken soundtracks, replace them with new ones, repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. Retire, replace, repeat. Like if you can do that, like the amount of time you'll get back is unbelievable. There's a story I tell in there from this guy, South St. Germain in Hawaii, that he did one of the things that I talk about he asked one of the questions and it saved their company $14 million. It, the, it was a single question, $14 million. So that, you know, so like, that's where I'd go. If you asked me, does changing how we think have financial benefits? Well, I know at least one guy saved $14 million. Right. I think even if you save 140, it's worth it. Um, and then the other thing I would just say is like, if you can change the story you tell yourself about yourself, you've improved the story you'll hear the most in your life. Like the one story you'll hear more than any other story in your life is a story you're telling yourself about yourself. What if that could be 5% better, 10% better, 30% mm -hmm. better? Like, can mm -hmm. you imagine the things you could accomplish? Um, that's, yeah. So that's where for me, this is a slingshot book that I can't wait. For the, and here's the thing. I'll be flat out honest with you. When you are a public speaker, you share ideas on stage, you step off stage and inevitably somebody comes up to you and goes, Hey, I love that thing you said. And you'll go, what was the thing I said? And then they will say something to you that you didn't actually say. And they'll either remix it completely or it'll be a completely new thought because they heard what they needed to hear. So I think you're the best DJ. If you're going to read this book, you're the best DJ for your soundtracks. And you're going to stumble into this book and you're going to go, okay, it sounds funny. John tells some crazy stories. There's research. It's super helpful. But you're going to walk away with the soundtrack you needed the most. And then you're going you're gonna to shoot me an email. You're going to you know, see me online and go, hey, here's the thing I took. And I guarantee it's going to be something different than I put in there because it was the soundtrack you needed for your life. Love that. What a great way to wrap up an incredible conversation. Dude, let's not wait 19 years slash 200 or so episodes until you, you come back again, okay? Yeah. I Well, you've got 400 employees. You're busy. 
And you must be vacuuming constantly that rug. That rug probably <laughs> takes up like four hours a day of rug maintenance. So you guys, John is seriously turned on by my rug in here. I'm not, this it's is, a, this, it's impressive. I just, it's, an impre it's so like that office. I, but that's, that's legitimate. Before we started talking, I said, man, I love your office. So you that, did say this, this. Isn't stick. I genuinely yeah. think your office is very cool. And I want to do the event. Like I need to come over to England in November, it'd be November of 2022. That feels so yeah. far away. That's crazy. Yeah, we should talk about that. Let's talk about that, see whether we can make it happen. Yeah, that would be fun. I want to be there. Like, that's going to be like a family reunion. That's what I would say. Like, if I were you and you needed a new soundtrack for that, don't go back and think about, you know, I should have, like, I should have canceled earlier. Like, none of that is helpful. Mm -hmm. You need to be focused mm -hmm. on, I get to have a family reunion in 2022 because yeah. that's what it is. And that's the soundtrack that, like, you and your team, you and your people, like I would be repeating that one constantly between now and that moment. Yeah, I hear you. I love it, brother. Uh, for you guys tuning in, you can get links. Obviously, you can find soundtracks over at uh, Amazon, any good bookstore, all that fun stuff. But we're going to get your links over on the show note page, youpreneur.com forward slash four, two, four. And I'll make sure that I put John's socials and his website and all that stuff on there as well. John, thank you very much, brother being with me. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. For you guys, tuning in. We'll see you next time here on Youpreneur FM. Bye for now. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode. I really appreciate it sincerely. You know, if you are interested in potentially working with me to be able to build your business in a smart, savvy manner, that really does truly set you up for future-proofing yourself and obviously building a profitable business. I'd love to hear from you. So send me a direct message on Instagram at Chris Ducker with the word podcast and I'll know exactly where you've come from. And that for me is more important than anything else because if I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know how I'm going to be able to help you get to where you want to be. Thanks very much again for tuning in. I appreciate you. We'll see you again soon.